Tonight, like robots in disguise, hops and box office flops is more than meets the eye. And we've got the touch! We've got the power! It's 1986's Transformers the movie. Hops and box office flops. A place where we can celebrate the underdog films, the bombs, the disasters, the much maligned movies that have drowned in their infamy. So please sit back, grab a beer, and enjoy the show. Welcome back to Hops and Box Office Flops presented by Revenge of the Fans. I am the Thunderous Wizard, and along with me are Decepticon, Captain Cash, Ew. and Sharkticon, Chumpzilla. Chomp, chomp, chomp. Howdy, everybody. So before we get started, what are we drinking, Captain Cash? This one's a special one. I am very pleased to tell you we are drinking Hoptimus Prime uh, by Ruckus Brewing, which I think is out of New York. Uh, this bad boy is a nine percenter, and I'm using my Stormbreaker that also doubles as the largest bottle opener ever. There it goes. And you've got the touch. Yeah, and the power. So it's safe to say this uh, beer is hardier than Optimus Prime, who kind of goes out like a chump. <laughs> and we're going to pour a little bit out for everybody's robot dad who just didn't make it through this movie. Not even close. I think that's probably the biggest flaw, but we'll get there. So, uh, uh, You mean the most memorable part about this, such that it's been replicated in every version of Optimus Prime going forward? He dies by like most, 20 minutes into the movie. Yeah, by most memorable, you mean like uh, the most traumatizing? Also that. This it can be both. This movie uh, has a higher body count than John Wick 3. <laughs> It is Back. really quite astounding how many robots are murdered in this movie. And we all know there's a reason for that, but I think it's very entertaining that the executives at Hasbro were like, yeah, yeah, this is this is the right idea. And this that reason how everyone... we're going to bring out more toys. Capitalism. I mean, yeah. could you imagine if they'd done that in the G.I. Joe movie? They're like, all right, let's just invent 50 guys and we'll just have them all get murdered. It's cool here because they're robots, so... Not even that, it's, let's murder all the old guys, and we'll invent 50 new guys that you now have to like. And but we're getting ahead up. of ourselves. Yeah, hold up. Let's just be clear here. This show was two years old when this movie came out. Two years. We had two years with these characters before they massacred them before our virgin eyes. And some of these deaths, let's just be honest, I know we'll get to it, were pretty horrific. Oh, they do not sugarcoat the, coat these deaths at all. Yeah, yeah. A, couple, a couple of robots are dismembered. <laughs> Robot dad bleeds out on a, a hospital table. It's brutal. It is a little brutal. All right, so we're, we are here to discuss, right? Transformers the movie, 1986. Fairly crushing bomb in a number of ways. Uh, somehow it wasn't saved by the incredible hair metal soundtrack, which I just couldn't get enough of. Um, it is the best part about this movie. If you do nothing else, get the soundtrack. This movie is a lot of fun, but I wouldn't say it's particularly good. Unless you have a lot of nostalgia for it. 
which I do not. Uh, yeah, that's that's probably a big factor here. I'm not going to You, you got to remember, the target audience for this movie uh, was 10-year-olds. Yeah, right. So, 10-year-old me loved it. I mean, 21-year-old me enjoyed it. I remember downloading it and getting my computer whatever kind of crazy STIs you could get from, what was it, iMesh and LimeWire. Well, yeah, I mean, so I said it to Bob, but... To your guys' point, it is a cult classic now. It was re-released last year in over 700 theaters. So there's a lot of people that have very fond memories of it. Although, when it came out, it grossed $1.7 million in its opening weekend, finishing 14th behind About Last Night, which at that time Oof. had been in the theaters for six weeks. Uh, topped out under $6 million. And it was the 99th highest grossing movie of 1986. Between this and My Little Pony, Hasbro lost $10 million. uh, And then that led them to not release G.I. Joe in theaters. Like that's sort of the cost of how poorly those two movies did. I'll give you a little background on it. Now, it's always tough with these movies that were made, you know, going on 25 years ago. It's 58% on Rotten Tomatoes with 23 reviews. Again, how many of those reviews are current? How many of them are from 1986? But Leonard Malton, pretty famous film critic, labeled it a bomb, which is the lowest possible rating in his movie and video guide, and called it little more than an obnoxious feature-length toy commercial. That deafening rock score certainly doesn't help. Now, I'll agree on one point. It's clearly a toy commercial, but the rock score certainly helps Leonard, and you need to lighten up. Uh, According to Nelson Shin, who was the director and producer. He also produced the show. Uh, The decisions on which characters to include or kill off were all made by Hasbro, which is the toy company that owns Transformers, G.I. Joe, etc. My Little Pony. He said they created the story using characters that could best be merchandised for the film. And only with that consideration could I have freedom to change the storyline. We want to sell toys. So kill off all the other toys and bring us new toys. I mean... John Carter could have stood to took a little bit of that inspiration and make a toy. (laughs) Any toy, really. Uh, So if you're a fan of the cartoon, you'll recognize all the voices. If you're a fan of G.I. Joe, you'll recognize a lot of the voices. But this movie did add Orson Welles. Yes, the Orson Welles. In his final film role, we might add. Final film role. He died before it was even released, so he never got to see it. I'm sure he would have loved it. And Judd Nelson, uh, you would be hard pressed to tell it's Judd Nelson. I, you know, he's a pretty big star in 1986, but he's sort of like, oh, that's Judd Nelson. Okay, the guy from The Breakfast Club. I can't even really tell. Yeah, as the protagonist, yeah, the main character, sort of. <laughs> yeah, Hot as Rod, our, as our robot Luke Skywalker. And yeah. Don't forget, so you got those two. Uh, the other big addition on top of the regular TV cast here, Leonard freaking Nimoy. Yep. Live long and prosper as Galvatron. Who becomes sort of the super Megatron. Uh, More or less, yeah. So not He only, turns into a cannon, not just a gun. They upgrade his suit and they upgrade his voice actor. It's kind of cold <laughs> move for Frank Welker. Oh, yeah, I say, Frank Welker might be the Come best on. voice actor. That's not fair. Yeah, like, voice actor Frank Welker is a bigger star than voice actor uh, Spock. Let's just be clear. Yeah. 
I mean, literally all the lion sounds in Lion King is just Frank Welker making sounds into a trash can. Yeah. It's incredible. Well, Frank Welker was also Nemesis Enforcer, which was just essentially grunting, so... Because he had no lines. Well, I'm not going to lie to you. I saw the first Transformers movie. I saw the second Transformers movie. And then I saw nothing else until Bumblebee, which I watched on a plane. Which, not that bad. Not that bad. Well, at some point, Leonard Nimoy came back to Transformers. I don't remember which one he's in, but he came back. I I read that. I think it was Dark of the Moon. He's a... He's a pretend. He's a prime, but he's a bad guy. But who pretends to be a good guy for yeah, a while? That's I, right. Okay, so I did see that one. Uh, but even uh, Unicron, he comes back in. I think the last Transformers movie. Yeah, it isn't again. I, I this is maybe me being a bad researcher, but but I fucking hate the Transformer movies as they exist in Bay's universe. So I opted not to do that, but. I think he's in Age of Extinction, the one that is before last night. Or oh, so not the one it? with the Knights of the Round Table and Anthony Hopkins. <laughs> yeah. Anthony Hopkins, man. I guess he's got grandkids who need to go to college. It's fine. Hey, wait, hold on. I feel like we're leaving one big, big... There's a couple of big other actors that are in this franchise that are worth noting. If we're going to talk about the... Eric Idle. Robert Eric Stack. Idle. The, uh, Stack. Bad guy Unsolved from... Mystery. The bad guy from mystery. Caddyshack too. Yeah, no, wait a minute. Uh, <laughs> Jumpzilla clearly has this unsolved mysteries. That's what Robert Stack is. Unsolved I mysteries. But I, Caddyshack two is a legendarily bad movie, and he is fantastic. And he's an airplane. Yeah, and he's, he's an, an airplane. airplane. But and we we've also got Casey Kasem. Yeah. yeah, but to be fair, he was in regular Transformers, so that doesn't count. Yeah, I'm just saying, but that a lot of people don't realize that. Him or and Scatman Brothers. Or that he was Shaggy from Scooby-Doo. Yeah. And of course, back to Frank Welker, who was Fred. So, small world here for the voice actors. I mean, back back in 1986, there were only about seven voice actors, so it's not... Yeah. Uh, Casey Kasem has, I think, one line in this movie. As they're getting yeah. eaten by the giant butthole monster. No, he, he, does, he, no, he does multiple characters. He's Cliff Jumper. Um, okay. He, he, yeah, he, he does. He's the computer. He's got. He does multiple characters. But I will get to it later. He actually left the franchise in somewhat of a uh, yeah. There was a little controversy, and he walked away at some point. So we'll get to that plot breakdown. Okay, so budget at six million. Cost was six times greater than the budget used to create ninety minutes of the regular cartoon series. So they did step it up quite a bit. But I wonder where the money went. I'm thinking it went to. Orson Welles. That and is entirely Judd, incorrect. And Judd the Nelson. animation in this is excellent. It's pretty good. The anim- not only, like this is one of those gateway entry drugs into anime because this is so very clearly animated by Toei. Which I mean, it, and it's it's really good. You can go back and watch this uh, now, and the animation holds up. It's good. In parts. In parts, yes, that's fair. There is animation tell, weirdness. Yeah, you can tell they have some really good sequences where they focused and they were tight and it was animated really well. And some of it looks as bad as some of the cartoons because these cartoons were famously poorly animated. Like, yeah. 
especially in the later seasons, two and three, the quality of the animation went down. The movie had some really good spots, but it, it gets shaky as well. And, it's, and hey, this series has a huge problem with continuity errors and coloring errors. And sadly, you'd think in the movie for $6 million, they'd be able to address that. They don't. They, they suffer from many of the same mistakes and, and goofs they have in the TV show. Okay, so to the plot. Description from IMDb. The Autobots must stop a colossal planet-consuming robot who goes after the Autobot Matrix of Leadership. At the same time, they must defend themselves against an all-out attack from the Decepticons. Okay, that's basically the plot of the film. How would you describe this film in one sentence, Chumpzilla? Go ahead. Robot Luke Skywalker battles knockoff Darth Vader and the gaping butthole of the Death Star. Okay, I'll, I will go. The insatiable anus robot has the need. The need to feed. That's, that's this movie. Hey, hold on. I, I have another volleyball movie reference to come later. I enjoy that. I love that you insist on calling Top Gun the volleyball movie. That's it's, spectacular. It, it's the volleyball movie with Val Kilmer. What else do you call that movie? That's a fair point. Uh, so I, what I, when I Googled this movie, what I pulled up, which I think is from IMDb, lists Ultra Magnus and the Transformers fight Planet Unicron and the Decepticons in 2005, which Ultra Magnus is a tertiary character in this film at best. I'm not really sure what they're doing there. Well, he... but my, uh. My one-sentence description for this is 2005 was a lot more bitchin' than I remember. That is definitely fair because there's a lot of cool stuff going on here. Uh, There's a couple of humans who have robot suits. Like, where's that at? What am I getting one of those? I want to turn into a car. You want to be Turbo Teen? I would love it Uh, because... (laughs) Even though there's two humans in this movie, somehow they don't have the worst transforming power. So, which I'll ask about in just a moment. But All right, so let's do a quick plot breakdown. It is the year 2005. Wait, hang on, before we jump in. Go, go ahead, Jumpzilla. I was going to say, there was a plot? There, there is absolutely a plot. If you okay. can describe the main character as, as Luke Skywalker, there's a plot. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. But very quickly, (laughs) this film is meant to be set 15 years into the Transformers future in the far-flung year of 2005. Uh, From there, basically, we're treated to Unicron, which is the Transformers version of Galactus, a planet that eats planets, uh, eating a planet, uh, before we get into... Uh, the updated war for Cybertron. The Decepticons are winning. The Autobots are going to send a shuttle to Earth to pick up some Energon. The the Decepticons hijack the shuttle and promptly murder very viciously four of the main characters from the cartoon show uh, before attacking Autobot City, murdering a bunch of people over there uh, as we're introduced to Cup and Hot Rod who are the the young, brash, new Autobot and the old Autobot, which we have never seen before. At this point, Optimus Prime shows up 
has his epic battle with Megatron. You get the line which you will hear constantly repeated throughout all Transformers mythos. One shall stand, one shall fall. That comes up again and again and again. They have their fight. Megatron is mortally wounded. Optimus is mortally wounded. Optimus Prime, robot dad, bleeds out in a hospital bed, but not before transferring the Matrix of Leadership to Ultra Magnus, who does not matter. Uh, And Megatron is thrown out of the shuttle uh, for the escape of the Decepticons. Uh, Let's see, from there, Unicron, the planet-devouring planet, finds Megatron, turns him into Galvatron, and says, find the Matrix of Leadership. It's the one thing that can hurt me. If you destroy it, you get a new body. Uh, Megatron turns into Galvatron and is basically... He becomes the Starscream to Unicron. So, in other words, we've got a Starscream and a Galvatron who is the Starscream to Unicron. There we go. Uh, Galvatron goes back, murders Starscream, another major G1 person, and also Cobra Commander, for those of you keeping score at home. At his coronation. At his coronation. Coronation. Bah. This is bad comedy. Bad comedy, yeah. There's some great one-liners in this movie. There really are. Uh, from there, Galvatron goes back to Earth, attempts to murder the Autobots who flee, uh, and promptly get shot down. Uh, the Dinobots, Cup, and Hot Rod wind up on the planet of the Quintessons. Everybody else winds up on the junk planet. The Quintesson planet, there's a trial. It's kind of weird, whatever. They escape. The junk planet is where we meet the Junkions. Yes, that's what they're called. And we are treated to the weirdest moment in the film, which is Dare to be Stupid by Weird Al, where he out-Devo's Devo uh, to the point where uh, I think Devo was mad about it, right? Correct. And I would say that is not the weirdest part of the movie. That is one of the best parts of the movie. It can be both. It can be both. But yes, yes, the, uh, yeah, the, the head guy in Devo was, was both impressed and depressed by how awesome he thought Dare to be Stupid was. Listen, I think a big theme in this particular pod is going to be it can be both. It can yeah. be a robot. It can be a car. It's a, it's a theme in disguise. It can be good. It can be bad. It can be both. Yeah. Uh, the Galvatron and his team show up fine Ultra Magnus kill him in a way that is not permanent and it's not adequately explained but happens he takes the robot matrix of leadership to Unicron who eats him just go with it turns into a giant robot from a giant planet and then will go destroy Cybertron the home planet of the Autobots Um, at this point Cup, Hot Rod and the Dinobots have met Wheelie. They crash into Unicron. Hot Rod gets the Autobot Matrix of Leadership, opens it saying, light our darkest hour. And the, the, the best banger fucking song from this movie plays, You've Got the Touch. And again. Hot Rod, yes, again. And Hot Rod has been transformed into Rodimus Prime, which is not a great name. It's not a great name. Uh, opening the ma- the robot matrix of leadership kills Unicron, and his head becomes a moon that now orbits Cybertron, 
the end and see. Fade to black. It is an insane film that is worth your 90 minutes. I own this movie. I watch these movies in advance, and then I, I like read the Wikipedia and see what other stuff I can, I can find out there to do some research. I didn't have to do that for this. I have seen this movie so many times. It is great. Everyone should watch it. It's not so much a movie as a series of scenes, which you just made sound like an actual movie. But really, it's all over the map. It's like an hour and 15 minutes of action with zero character development for all these brand new robots, except for the old robot, the grizzled guy. I liked him. Cup. Yeah. Cup. He's cool. Uh, Hot Rod has zero development whatsoever. Yeah. I think one of the problems, and you're nailing this, Mr. Wizard, is that it even has the, the scene breaks like you would have in the TV show. Yep. It, the, Which, there's no like, there's no real like good transitions or any it, it, interesting editing like smash cuts or anything. It literally just fades in and out. It the movie is it, really choppy. It's like watching a series of episodes, not a feature length film. Which I think is deliberate because I think ultimately the idea was they would do like they did with a ton of the '80s movies, including this GI Joe Thundercats, where they just kind of chop it up, and now it's you know, six episodes. And they did. They did. They did. This. And they did. Yeah. This, this was the one of the last seasons of uh, Transformers was this with a couple of new episodes sprinkled in. It's tough, though, because they put this in theaters, you know, and I feel like when you're watching it straight through, I understand it makes it easier to break it up in an episodic nature. But yeah. when you watch it straight through, it, it's, it, it takes away from the film. But I will say this. There's a funny quirk to this. Because of licensing rights and issues, you couldn't get the TV show on VHS back in the 80s. So this was like literally the only Transformers uh, property you could get at like your, your video rental place in the 80s. So that's how I got exposed uh, to this movie. I didn't see this in theaters, but if you wanted to watch the Transformers like on your own time, this was the this was it. You, you could rent this movie and I did. I watched it over and over and over again because I loved it. It was, it was great as a kid. But it was kind of, I think that's why the nostalgia factor and why it's become a cult classic is because for a very long time, this was the only home media you could get for the Transformers. That's interesting, uh, which is probably why I never really saw it, because it was long over before I started watching stuff. And I don't remember it being in syndication like G.I. Joe was. That was on all the time. Yeah. Uh, like, I distinctly remember watching that every weekend. But I don't recall seeing this. Uh, and I wasn't really into the toys either, so that maybe that was part of it. But I did have a couple questions about this film. Because there's a lot of interesting robots uh, changing into different things. And some of those things are not created equal. To me, uh, there's one clear loser in this. But what would you say is the most useless alternate form of the movie? Listen, I'm a science guy, and I'm not trying to be a jerk about this, but Perceptor is not terribly useful. He turns into a microscope, which, if you had the toy, it actually turned into kind of a shitty microscope, and that was really cool. But in practice, that's really fucking worthless. It actually is. Yeah. He's like completely stationary when he's the microscope. It's yep, like, completely huh. stationary. 
And he's like six feet tall. He's not like the Megatron thing where he has the pocket dimension for his mass, so he shrinks down and can be fired by one of the other Decepticons. Perceptor just turns into a giant fucking microscope. Yeah, I thought the the scene with uh, Optimus Prime on his deathbed with him in the micro- microscope mode, like examining him, like really, like you, you can't do that from your robot mode. You have to I mean, use a giant the mi- six foot microscope to scan <laughs> his vitals. Yeah, the microscope is literally just on his shoulder. It would be yeah. like just point it down and <laughs> yeah. Seems a bit weird. I mean, Galvatron just turns into a giant gun, even though he's holding a gun. He turns yeah. into a cannon. I, I I would argue that that's one of the goofier ones for me because I get the pocket dimension thing for for uh, uh, Megatron. Megatron, and then Galvatron turns into the stationary cannon that does retain some of the size. But like, both of them are walking around with a gun on their arm. As robots, why do they have to turn into a pistol? So Starscream, who he already said was an idiot earlier in the movie, like, oh yeah, no, I'm going to take my autonomy away and I'm going to let Starscream aim my power because that's a better decision. Question. But let's be cl- let's be clear here. These toys, these toys were not, and the, now these toys, these characters and the toys that they are based on were not Transformers to begin with. Oh right? yeah. Yeah, these are all based off of Japanese toys that Hasbro went out and bought, then paid Marvel to come up with backstories for. So, Which is amazing. Yeah, Prospector and uh, Megatron, those guys, they were a series of toys that were meant to be robots that could hide in plain sight. So it really, there was no action sci-fi angle. It was just like, hey, look, a pistol is something you might have in your dad's nightstand. Not in fucking Japan, it's not. <laughs> yeah. Uh, look here. Here's a, a boombox. It turns into a robot. You know. Look here. Here. Here's a ray gun. You know. Shockwave. He turns into a robot too. It's, there was this whole like you know just concept of things that could be left out in the open that turn into robots. And then Hasbro paid Marvel to come up with this crazy sci-fi story. So to their credit, they did as much as they could with it. But it and did an amazing job. Would you like to know what Optimus Prime's name is in Japanese? Yes, I would. Convoy. They took Convoy and went, yeah, nah, Optimus Prime. For that alone, all right, cool, I'm in. Yeah, I'm going to say, and and I, I think I'll get some agreement here from Mr. Wizard, a lot of the names for the Transformers are terrible and generic, but damn, did they not nail it with Optimus Prime and Megatron? Starscream's pretty good, too. Yeah, but holy shit. Like Megatron and Optimus Prime, those are yeah, fun. yeah. As as the the main hero and villain, Robot Dad and Robot Dad's ex wife. Uh, Starscream's probably the get the best transform, and he's the most useless robot. In fact, when he gets murdered, it's like just turn into the fighter jet and fly away instead of standing there like an imbecile. It's not like he was the boombox that literally can't move when he transforms. He could have. He could have gotten out of there. If you're about to talk shit about Soundwave, you're gonna catch these hands. There's way too many boombox robots. There are two. That's one too many. Soundwave and Blaster, and yeah. they are arguably the best fucking characters. Well, okay, Soundwave because he's like evil Optimus, basically. Hey, Soundwave's voice effect gives me the heebie-jeebies. 
Like it's that so that good. scared me as a kid. I still get that little tingle up my spine, that weird voice modulation they use for him. Yeah. I love that. That's a great effect. They made that unique. I thought that was awesome for that character. I mean that, that that's good that's good bad guy character development right there. He just plus, sounded creepy. Plus they all get a bunch of mini robots that are the cassettes. Rumble, Frenzy, Ravage, Rampant. Uh what are, oh, I can't remember the Rat I don't Bat? remember what Yeah, Ratbat. Who, those were great good... toys too. Those were awesome toys. I love those. I love the little mini, the mini guys. That's just fucking math. Yeah. Let's be honest here. The one that can turn into a giant robot is the most effective. Oh shit! Speaking of that though, did you see that? Uh, I don't remember where it was, but in at Comic Con this year, they released a six hundred dollar Unicron that. Literally, it's like three feet tall when it transforms. It's insane. I did not see that. It's like the Hasbro GoFundMe thing. They they didn't actually make it. They just said, hey, if enough people pre-order this, we will make it. Huh. I'll have to look for that. I'll have to check that out. That's kind of interesting. I'm not – I don't have the kind of money where $600 on a toy is something I want to spend, but I'm not going to lie to you. I – that's a – you're making a good point here because there are a few characters that are they're brand new for the movie Rodimus, Cup, Unicron, and they've all carried on for the most part. They've been major players moving forward. And most of the, you know, obviously Hasbro realized their mistakes. Most of the, the main characters that perished in this movie have all come back as well, too. Yeah, well, you're leaving out RC, which is arguably the first female Transformer. Then you've yep. got Blur, voiced by John Mishada, who Micro if you machine. are of it. Yes, exactly. If you are of a certain age, you know him as the Micro Machine guy. Uh, and then the guy who I thought was really cool was Springer, which if if he had the Springer toy, it was a combination between a robot, a helicopter, and then just a futuristic car. Hey, these made bitchin' toys, man. I don't care. Yeah, but the point is, uh, that transformation scene at the end with Unicron, when he goes into his robot form... Oh, shit, that holds up hard. A bunch of money went into that, because that was awesome. Yeah. they def- that, was one- that was one of the good scenes. And, yeah, that- I mean, that was like, wow. That really sold me on, like, okay, Unicron is awesome. Because you always see him in-, in the planet form up until that point. You didn't know that was coming. No, so no, no. When you see that the first time, that's like the, the chestburster scene in Alien. That's a huge revelation. That's like one of the biggest... I mean, this movie's got a couple big shocks. Optimus dying, big shock. The Galvatron transformation, kind of a big big twist, right? And then the Unicron thing at the end, that was huge. There's a lot of good stuff in this movie, but like Mr. Wizard said, a lot of the stuff in between just doesn't hold up. You ignored the question, though, Chumpzilla. What is the least useful... Transformer. And Optimus Prime is on the table because an 18-wheeler is not maneuverable. Not at all. Yeah. I'm sorry. I Did you miss the part where he murdered basically all of the Decepticons? That That's him in his form. What he's he's doing both. He runs over at least four. I will tell you this. He's a much worse truck driver than Lincoln Hawk from over the top. He cannot <laughs> corner like Hawk can. Not even close. And, no, I don't think I, I ignored the question. I think I just buried my answer. I think it's any version of Megatron or Galvatron turning into the stationary cannon or the pistol 
because they're already a firearm with the gun on their side. They they're need- literally a firearm. Yeah. It still bugs me when he jumps into Starscream's hand and he starts firing. And they, they murder a bunch of Autobots via Starscream and uh, you know Megatron. And I'm like, why does it... It was much cooler when Megatron did it on his own. Like, who's the dude he blasts in the face in cold blood before they have... Uh, Ironhide. Ironhide. That's one of the good... That is, like, might be the only good jump cut in the whole movie is when you get the scene of him staring down, he fires, and boom, it cuts. Such heroic nonsense. Yeah. Another great one-liner. My last uh, real question. Six million dollar budget. Judd Nelson had to get paid pretty handsomely because at this point he was like a huge thing. Uh, Breakfast Club, St. Elmo's Fire. He's a big deal. I mean, it was the biggest point in his career before he slid tremendously downhill. Between him, Nimoy, Orson Welles, and these bitchin' tunes, how much was left over for the actual animation? I'd say two million. Not enough. I disagree. It's on the screen. It holds up. I would put this against anything Disney produced at that time. Right. Think, think about what was Disney. What did Disney have in 1986? They had the Robin Hood movie, which recycled a shitload of animation from Cinderella, from Jungle Book, from a couple other places. They had the Rescuers, and then the Rescuers Two, which also fucking recycled a ton of animation. Like this was arguably. With the exception of The Little Mermaid, this is the best movie to come out of the 80s in America. Uh, you look at Akira, you look at some of the other... I, I, I can't... You put up Japanese animation against what was happening in the 80s in America, and you're fucked. This but, was Japanese animation, though. But it was financed in America, it was produced for an American audience, it had an American script. That's no, my argument. No, my, my argument is the Japanese animators sandbagged it that that is that is a problem with it is it toei toei but close enough toei yeah they were historically tough to deal with i would argue that they actually sandbagged this because they also did the fist of the north star and i would argue that movie looks better than this one Eh, i don't see here's where i don't agree because it's really hard to animate those hard lines like, my favorite version of why I know this movie was difficult to animate is during the uh, the first initial attack on Autobot City when Op- I was doing Optimus Prime, but I was thinking Rodimus Prime, which is really at that point Hot Rod, picks up Daniel, the human character, and jumps off from Lookout, Lookout Mountain. Yeah, yeah. no. Why settle for a peak, Daniel, when you can see everything from Lookout Mountain? We really phoned in that fucking name. But he jumps off Lookout Mountain, and it does this sweep around Hot Rod's head and Daniel's head. And it's that's, that wasn't a thing that happened a lot in the 1980s. I mean, especially now when everything's 3D animated, it's very easy to do that kind of sweep stuff. But you don't see that then it it's really well done the movie holds up i think well uh i i just don't i think its biggest failing is that it it's so disjointed and it doesn't really have a great story arc so just have if i was like gonna 
if I was going to compare this to G.I. Joe, that feels like it has an actual arc for who happens to be the exact same character, basically, which is Lieutenant Falcon, who's the brash young guy who gets himself into trouble and ultimately redeems himself. He has like an actual arc. Hot Rod eventually embraces this destiny, but there's no real point in time where you think he's not going to embrace it because you know that Caddyshack 2 is not going to win the day. Robert Stack's not making it to the end with the Matrix. Ultra Magnus, you're terrible the entire time. Yeah. Well, he says that right up front. He's yeah. just like, uh, this is not for me. I'm just a soldier. But there's really not that great thing. There's no real strong bond between Hot Rod and not Optimus even Prime that because he's a brand new character you've never seen before. Hot Rod catches the the matrix of leadership, and there's this moment where he holds it up almost exactly as he does in the final act, and it plays this music. But then he promptly hands it to Ultra Magnus, who picks it up and puts it in his chest very uh, unceremoniously. Yeah, at that point, there's a huge animation error in the movie because as he takes up the Matrix of Leadership, he puts it into his chest and it, like transports in, and then he pulls it out and then pulls it back in. But he do- does a double clutch on it. Again, for $6 million, how can you let something like that slip into the movie? That I, I'm going to rewatch that right now because I always just thought that was weird looking. Yep. And, yeah, and I was cool with it. It's a cell animation error. They left that cell underneath. And it was just a, it's a, a layering error with the animation cells. Because this is, to be honest, now this is hand animated. It's not computer or 3D animated, like you said, Captain Cash. But yeah, that's a real glaring animation error. Yeah, that's nuts. Uh, so while you rewatch this scene and ruin your childhood, and you'll probably cry for a while. As you mentioned on the MCU pod, you cry a lot during these films. Uh, we'll take a quick break. <laughs> We come I back. will not apologize for my manly tears. Uh, we'll, uh, and thank you for your toxic masculinity. We'll do some interesting facts. And then you guys will talk about your favorite episodes of the show. I don't have any because I really didn't watch the show. But I did find a couple of facts that I liked. So we'll be right back. So we are back on Hobson Box Office Flops. Captain Cash has sort of collected himself, but not really. He's still a little teary-eyed. Listen. Listen. Robot Dad. I love you. I never told you, but I love you, Robot Dad. So you guys probably have more interesting facts than I do, but the two things that I found that I thought were incredibly interesting was Stan Bush's song, The Touch, which I sang so well to open this pod, and is proudly featured in the film. Yeah, definitely. Originally written for Sylvester Stallone's Cobra, a movie I think it would have felt uh, fit way better into, because Stallone's movies are rife with cheesy 80s tunes. Uh, <laughs> speaking of which, Vince DiCola, who composed the score for this movie, what other score did he compose? Probably the greatest of all time, Rocky IV, Training Montage, War and Fanfare, if you can't get hyped to the Rocky Four score, you're not living right. That's all I'm going to say. Those were my two favorite things I found about this movie. Of course, as we mentioned, its failure led to G.I. Joe not getting released. Didn't really bother me. I probably wouldn't have seen that in theaters anyway. In 1987, I was four years old, and I've watched it a million times since. 
the backlash to Optimus Prime dying did have another effect. It then changed the original plan for the G.I. Joe movie. Instead of Duke dying when he gets the snake to the chest, he goes into a coma. And later they have this offhand bit that he has come out of the coma and survived. What I did find interesting is that the people who wrote the Transformers movie read that scene in the G.I. Joe script, which was supposed to come out first. They're like, oh yeah, that's gold. We're going to use that. And that really tanked their movie. <laughs> because people were pissed. It, it absolutely didn't tank their movie. It pissed off a bunch of people in the 80s, but now it's remembered as the probably defining part of this movie. Because this had never been done before. Like, name another 80s anything. Name another... Name any other TV show. I don't know. Ben Kenobi. This happens all the time. Yeah. This, this movie no, is no, no. Star Wars-esque. Yeah. It, no, no. It, it, well, okay. You're, you're doing two different things. One, yes, it is extremely Star Wars-esque to the point where this whole movie was created based on the success of Return of the Jedi. But... Name another TV show where the main character, which at the time was Optimus Prime, he was the leader of the Autobots, he was the guy, gets murdered. Well, for argument's sake, it did not help the show, which was then one season. Oh, no. And done. Uh, that's, that's Everybody fucking hated Rodimus Prime. When they, when they shot JR, JR came back because everybody watched Dallas because JR was such an asshole. Right? You don't kill the most popular character and expect the show to thrive then afterwards. It's kind of like when the X-Files killed off Fox or not killed off, but removed him from the equation. That show wasn't the same. Fox? Who calls him Fox? It's Mulder. What's his first name? It is yeah, first you're not name, wrong. You're, I, I, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying it's it's weird. My, my point is that the show isn't the same and like it's like, okay, that was an interesting choice. Now what do you do with it? Yeah, and they did not. Yeah. It didn't work out well. But I, I chalk that up to the fact that Rodimus's prime, Rodimus Prime's new, like body form, just isn't that interesting. It just looks like a bigger, older version of Hot Rod that is now somehow also a eighteen wheeler for whatever reason. Space Winnebago. I will say this: his original form wasn't particularly interesting he was like the guy on your street that has the flames on the side of his car and tears around the neighborhood like a jerk off that's to be fair he, flames make the was. car go faster uh, <laughs> hold on hold on he he's like the transformer version of carl from aqua teen hunger force <laughs> exactly too wicked too wicked you put you put flames on the car the car goes faster it's great I, so I, i'll Anybody get to get later, hot tub I literally need Captain Cash to explain to me what the difference between Hot Rod and Rodimus Prime is because to this day, I can't tell the difference. I couldn't tell as a kid. I can't tell now. I've Googled it. I'm not satisfied with their results. Rodimus Prime is taller. Okay. And his alternate form is a souped-up 18-wheeler. The Space Winnebago. Okay. Yeah, it's not... So the trailer, that's the difference. He was a car before, and now he's a car with a trailer. Trailer, yeah. Oh, okay. Also, if you look, his nose is more prominent. There's more lines he, on his face. The internet yeah, says exactly. more lines on his face. Okay. Yeah, if you look at it, he, he looks older. Like, they give him squint lines on the side of his eyes, which 
why does a robot have that don't don't over fucking think it is yeah. my short answer I, I, again there were a lot of good one-liners in this movie there's some pretty good jokes in it as well ba weep gran weep ninny bong yeah and I, I did enjoy some of the weirdness too. You got the the weird the weird planet with the living tribunal and uh, yeah, the Quintessons. Yeah, yeah, those guys. Because uh, I will admit the season uh, that came the season three that came after this movie uh, for the cartoon show was pretty insane, and I think it was better for it. But I think that doesn't that doesn't absolve the movie of some of its sins, though. No, that's fair. Now, if we're going to do some of the weirdness, the original weirdness, the plan for the Quintessons was to make them the creators of the Transformers. And if you, you watch, the Quintessons are basically what looks like an upside-down butt plug with four faces and tentacles. And yeah. based on what they're saying, the face just rotates. One includes a weird, evil-looking pharaoh thing. Uh, I wish I could describe it. The 80s were a hell of a drug. Hey, that was so weird and strange. That's one of the highlights of the film, in my opinion. Right. That got so weird. The junk planet scene was 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 weird and good. Like again, it was disjointed. It wasn't. It didn't flow really well. But there were a lot of really good ideas there, and I enjoyed it as a kid. Uh, the Quintessons are the highlight of the movie. That and the, the shark cons <laughs> and and uh, the people that uh, the robots that turn into essentially alligators. All that when it when it got weirder, the movie got better. When it was strictly like the Decepticons waging this war, and you really don't have any clue why, and they it wasn't very good. And the Dinobots, which should be interesting, aren't interesting because they're all morons and they don't really transform. He all the Dinobots prove themselves to be utterly useless throughout the entire movie. I'm sorry. Does Grimlock not kick butt? Also, does Grimlock not overthrow the Quintessons? Because he overthrows the fucking Quintessons. No. Grimlock. Me, Grimlock, say, get them. There's there's a scene where all three Dinobots get worked over by the giant robot guy. Okay. Just worked over. Devastator? Yeah, you mean Devastator. Okay, so I'd like to point out that Devastator was overpowered in the movie. He's not portrayed to be that tough in the TV show, but apparently, yeah, he's kicking major ass in this movie because he does he does handle the Dinobots pretty well. Oh, big time! Which let's jump in on the on the toy design alone. This is a toy that is five separate toys that both turn into robots and turn into construction equipment, which then all combine together to create a giant construction equipment robot. Fuck, and, that's so good. And they can play trumpets. Actually, pretty well. Although, they played so long that it sort of ruined the coronation. He would have been crowned already before he got murdered, had they just shut up with the trumpets. Yeah, so let's talk about the murders here in this movie, because I think that's one of the biggest knocks on it, is this was a kid's movie. And it was extremely dark in the sense that we did see not just the death of Optimus Prime, which was traumatic. Robot Dad passed away before our eyes. That was kind of shocking. But they started the we, murder they would, right off the bat in this movie. And then they gave us Rodimus Prime, Robot Stepdad. But seriously, yeah, out, out of the 18 original Autobots, Mr. Wizard, how many verifiably make it out of this movie? 
four. You're very close. That is not bad. Yeah, there's only three that are shown to be alive at the end of this movie. That is Jazz, Cliff Jumper, and Bumblebee. I did a little research on this. I pulled up the toys, the original first series G1 toys. Um, I'll read them off. Optimus Prime, Blue Streak, Hound, Ironhide, Jazz, Prowl, Ratchet, Sideswipe, Sunstreaker, uh, Trailbreaker, and Wheeljack. Okay? Out of those guys, uh, it's only clear that Hound, Jazz, Sideswipe, Sunstreaker make it out alive. Those Wait, are the, what about the, the toys? Those, these are the toys. This is slightly different than than the, uh, the 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 other eighteen original Autobots. Oh, okay. Yeah, and and yeah, and several are killed off screen. That, like that, that's pretty ridiculous. Those are the toys. That, that the, the the others are you know that we see at the end. You know, Jazz, Cliff Jumper, Bumblebee. Yeah. yeah, those guys survive for sure. But based on everything we see in the movies, we can assume the rest of those guys all die. And then for the for the uh, Decepticons, they fare much better. The only Decepticon murders in this movie, you get Megatron, who gets to return as Galvatron, and then you get Sky, uh, <coughs> excuse me, Skywarp, Starscream, and Thundercracker, and they all get repurposed to a certain extent. But what weren't there Insecticons that got blown up? Plus. Optimus definitely. Yeah, those, weren't, those, weren't, those weren't quote unquote originals. Uh, okay, fair enough. Yeah. It's kind of screwed up. There's a lot of debate in the online Transformer community as to who actually survived in the movie because in the third season, there's just a lot of characters that don't show up. But then there's yeah. also a lot of random characters that show up in wide shots that they refer to as generics that may or may not be the actual version of the character. They might just be a clone. And so it's, it's still not clear how some of these characters fared. And that just speaks to how they didn't plan this that well. It was kind of Hasbro just kind of shoving this down the animator's throats. And that's my question, because you were talking about recycled animation with some of those Disney movies. I, not having seen season three, I have to imagine there's some recycled animation throughout because they were sh- producing this film at the same time they were producing that season. And 80s cartoons are notorious for recycling animation. <laughs> So I have yeah. no doubt, like, some of those wide shots, they didn't even think about, like, oh, that guy's probably dead. And then, he, of course, they just say, oh, it's a generic robot. Because, I mean, there's a lot of generic robots that die in this movie that I don't think have names. I mean, when Optimus Prime shows up for this showdown, he literally murders, like, six people in a row before fighting Megatron. And all of them have names... And most of them are later revived as either Cyclonus or his sweeps. So to give you a sense of who Optimus just shows up and murders, Shrapnel, Skywarp, Thundercracker are all the ones he either runs over or blasts. Yeah. Who do they just drop out of the spaceship after they have to retreat? Because I'm sure among those. Yes, those Those guys. guys. Now, but to your point, Mr. Wizard, I think there's six total Decepticons. What's the ship's name? Astrotrain. Astrotrain. Which is one of those things because it can be a robot, it can be a train, or it can be a space shuttle. Space shuttle. Yeah, so when they dump out the six people, which is Megatron and five other 
Decepticons. They go to Unicron. They're reborn. I think they come out with at least seven new robots. Yeah, it's, so it's yeah, not yeah. a it's not a one to one thing, and they don't really address that. It's just kind of you just go with it. Don't don't look at it too close. Unicron had a lot of other space junk stored in his anus, so he could have made like thirty five robots for all we know. He ate the whole junk planet. Hey, and that's not unprecedented because there there is evidence, and it comes later in season three, but. You can definitely make uh, make transformers on the fly, and I'll address that. I will address that later. Well, the Junkions basically rebuild Robert Stack with like peanut butter and duct tape, <laughs> and, 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 yeah. and TV. You talk so some TV. On. Let's point out. So this movie was kind of dark. Let's just admit it. For a kids' movie, it was a little dark. Fuck yeah, they kill Robot Dad. And some of the deaths are more traumatic than others. You watch the life drain out of people's eyes. It's a little intense. Uh, there's a swear word about 30 minutes into the movie that's totally out of Oh, shit. Oh, shit. What the fuck? They, um, no, they did that specifically to make ensure that it received a PG rating. Yeah. Oh, you mean the mass amounts of murder wasn't enough? Robots. Robots don't count. It's the 80s. The 80s were weird. So let's talk about uh, Ultra Magnus and Robert Stack here for a second and his death uh, on the junk planet. Are you guys aware of how he was scripted to have perished? No. no. I feel oh. like it should be, though. I've had a couple of drinks okay. at this point. It, it's actually one of the funny things. I think there's a rumor that it was actually animated in the original uh, plan, but then they edited it and changed it at the end to make it more pg um, he was supposed to be drawn and quartered. Wait, yeah, I take that back because he definitely <laughs> explodes and into four pieces weirdly. And all his limbs are removed, and that's why yeah. the junk cons have to put them back on. Yeah, and actually, there, you see a little bit of it on the front and the back end. When the sweeps come in, they were going to fire like laser lassos and secure each of his limbs and then yank them off. You, you don't see that. You just see the blast, and he takes the shots and just falls down. But then when the Junkicons put him back together, they just bring all his limbs up and attach him to his torso. So they kind of like used, they used that original plan and just edited around it to make it work. Yeah, that would have been kind of horrific to see Ultra Magnus pulled apart on screen only to come back as you know, being reassembled later. Listen, as a child, I was still confused by the whole all right, they blew because in the finished product they just blow him up and he blows up into four parts. Whereas Optimus Prime is one whole piece who gets shot in the gut a couple times and then just turns gray and dies. Dies, yeah. And I'm like, so just just assemble him again, put the yeah. parts back together. What's what's the issue? Well, and and also uh, Megatron says he's gonna tear him apart with his bare hands, and then he goes straight for weapons and blasters. <laughs> no, he, didn't really, he did not really fall with through with his threat at all. Not really. I'm gonna, I'm gonna rip out your optics. Which again, could he not just get optics replaced very easily? Presumably, he could. Oh, hey, hey, hey! I, I've seen Blade Runner. The eyes are expensive. That's where the soul is. Uh, that's fair. 
I feel like there's a little bit of inconsistency, yeah, with how these... There's a lot of bit of inconsistency. This was produced to sell toys. Starscream gets shot and, like, fades into dust. Like, he gets snapped away. Literally turns to dust. Yes. And then Galvatron, from that point on, is a useless turd. His crown does not turn to dust. All the rest of him does, but the crown does not. It was never truly his. Oh, so, I like that. What, 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 no, what's the great line from uh, uh, Galvatron when Starscream goes, you know, Megatron, is that you? He's like, let me give you a hint. Yes. <laughs> Here's a hint. Well, while he stands, hold on, while he stands still and waits for him to turn into a cannon and blast him. Yeah. Because Instead clearly Galvatron couldn't have used his wrist cannon. No, he had to turn into a stationary cannon for his dust beam. My answer to that is always the same, which is, I'm assuming, for whatever reason, turning into the cannon or the gun makes it more powerful. Okay. It paralyzes the enemy in fear, too. They can't move while he sits there. Hold on, let me me adjust my aim. Not ready. Not yet. I do enjoy the transforming sound, though. Yeah, the generic... I enjoy that. That, that. That definitely... That sounds appropriate to me. That's a good sound effect. Whatever right. they did for that, they nailed it. They repurposed that, I think, I think for Bumblebee. Which, again, if you enjoy Transformers, watch Bumblebee. Please do not watch any of the Bayformers. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the sounds, if you watch G.I. Joe, they recycle those sounds, too. Like, Yeah. Uh, so I thought that was kind of neat. Particularly, I forget what jet it was that was shooting, but it was the same exact fire sound as the Cobra La planes. They they literally reused Cobra Commander as Starscream, so it's fine. I, it's, I love Chris Lotta. At least they could have turned him into a snake then. You know, don't kill the poor guy. Are we ready to do uh, favorite episodes now? Because you want to talk about Cobra Commander being yeah. in Transformers. We can talk about that. Why don't you guys do your favorite episodes? And then uh, we'll take a quick break right after that. All right. Well, I'm I'm going to cheat here. I'm just going to have three episodes. My favorite G.I. Joe reference and Chris Lotta episode is Only Human. It's a convoluted plot because season three is weird. But the point is the Decepticons reach out to an elderly Cobra commander known as the Old Snake. And it's hilarious have something to do with transferring the consciousness of the Transformers into human bodies, and they actually pilot themselves as mechs. It's hilarious, but you do get Cobra Commander in the Transformers universe. That's amazing to me on several levels, because, one, if you're a giant robot, why would you transfer yourself into a fleshy body? Wouldn't that just be a downgrade? That was the point. That was the plot. It was to get them transferred out so the bad guys could take advantage of the giant mech bodies and pilot them. But of course, the humanized Transformers, you know, foil their plans. Second point. In the far-flung year of 2005, that was that was only 15 years later. So, how how old was Cobra Commander that he became the old snake? Okay, well, first off, G.I. Joe is not in the same timeline as the Transformers. Okay, fair. 
they are current, and I believe this episode was actually set in 2006. And there is some weird futuristic cars and stuff in in there. It's 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 Transformers timeline, not GI Joe timeline. So GI Joe is current. So you've got a Cobra Commander that's you know 30 years older, you know 12, 20, 20 years older. Now I understand that uh, the Decepticons are not particularly adept at winning, but is it really the best idea to hire the guy that never won? So this is one of the Earthbound stories. There was a guy who approached him basically and said, hey, I understand your old organization had a technology that allowed for the transfer of consciousness between like stuff to, you know, to synthetic bodies. Because these, these weren't actually, they were humanoid bodies. They weren't actual people. It was a synthetic mm. thing. And, and a life model decoy. Exactly. And apparently it's somewhat canon to the G.I. Joe universe. So it was it was a, it was, a, it was a legit crossover episode done very slyly. Didn't didn't IMDb or what was it IDW did a GI Joe Transformers yeah. crossover yeah. series? Yeah, yeah. Hey, and and this is this is canon. You can you can get an old Snake action figure. They have actually released one. Like this was nice. recognized. It's it's pretty cool. I, I, which I think is hilarious. And I love Chris Lotta's voice. I loved him and GI Joe. I love Cobra Commander. I love Starscream. I love Decompose and the Inhumanoids. All good stuff. Uh, num- number two is uh, what you affectionately call Captain Cash, Flowers for Grimlock or Grimlock's New Brain. Wow, that episode, I enjoyed this as a kid so much. It's hilarious. The whole thing doesn't make a lick of sense. But basically, Grimlock bites onto a power cable and gets smart for part of the episode crawls into unicron's head which is still a, a moon orbiting cybertron creates a menagerie of autobots that are actually combiners and uh and in the end to facilitate their further development sacrifices his intelligence to put something on his head, transfer his brain power into them so they can be more functional and goes back to dumb Grimlock. It's a great arc. Grimlock has a lot of fun being smart. He gets to get some snarky one-liners and, and kind of, you know, barred back at some of the, the uh, Autobots that have given a hard time for being a dummy. And in the end, he sacrifices himself and goes back to being Grimlock. Me Grimlock allegory for Jesus. Yeah. It's not that heavy-handed, but it's pretty good. And that whole episode's hilarious. Um, and I understand that it's actually Grimlock's voice actor's favorite episode because he's like, I was really challenged how to make Grimlock sound smart. He's like, <laughs> smart Grimlock? That was hard. I had to, I really had to work at that. And then, again, I'm cheating you know, egregiously here, but my third favorite episode is probably one of the more inappropriate episodes. Thieves in the Night. Which is actually a biblical reference, because that is how the uh, description of the second coming of Jesus is laid out in the Bible. He will come like a thief in the night. night. Yeah. So this is this this is actually really uh, it's kind of a, a testament to the political senses of the '80s. It was an episode about a fictitious African nation that's clearly Libya, and it's ruled by a dictator that's clearly Gaddafi. And uh, the fictitious nation is called Carbamia. Yeah, let that sing. Carbamia. 
And uh, this fictitious Gaddafi character is uh, very much a racist caricature. And there's a lot of uh, negative comments about uh, Arab nations and African nations and oil-possessing nations. And it, it really goes off the rails. In fact, this is why uh, Casey Kasem left uh, the Transformers, because he was voicing multiple characters. But when he read the script for this, he basically said, hey, I don't have a huge problem with this, except there's no counterbalance here. There's no positive representation for the you know Arab American characters in this or Arab characters in general. And he, he left as a result. And the entire episode is completely insane. Like, I, I can't emphasize that enough. You should go watch it. It's online. And yeah, that is just a total artifact of the 80s. You could not do that kind of TV today. Uh, not to mention, you couldn't do that kind of kids TV today. This was children's television. And then SpongeBob SquarePants went to North Korea. That is an intense bit of stereotyping for a child's cartoon. The country is called Carbamia. That's bad. That's that's really bad. The eighties were a simpler, much more racist time. Okay, Captain Cash, uh, do you have a favorite episode of the series? I'm gonna give it to to two. Uh, I don't I don't have a top three. Like you, Mr. Wizard, I'm, I was just a shade young to really strongly remember the series. Uh, but the things I do remember are SOS Dinobots, which is where the Dinobots first get introduced. And I fucking love the Dinobots because I like dinosaurs. And these were dinosaurs that were robots that turned into humanoid robots, which made them the best thing ever. Uh, and then because I'm a giant fucking fantasy nerd... I also remember a Decepticon Raider in King Arthur's Court, which is basically a Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court, where the Decepticons and the Autobots get time-traveled back to King Arthur uh, and basically is the, the similarity to last night. But the thing I remember most about it is they needed to get, I think it was Nitrate, which is basically present in bird guano. So it had, I think, Starscream just covered in bird shit, carrying a basket full of bird shit so they could create gunpowder. And I found it amazing and hilarious. That's good. Okay. Well, there was precedence for Anthony Hopkins and the Knights of the Round Table then. And it wasn't just the stupidest idea I'd heard for a movie in quite some time. No, 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 it, it, it still was. That doesn't... There's a, there's a wide gap between 1985 movie intended for 8 to 12-year-olds and multi-million dollar film. Jesus Christ, Michael Bay. Okay, so uh, we're going to take a quick break. We'll come back, we'll do some fast recommendations, and then I know Captain Cash is dying to talk about this. The Sony Spider-Man news. Our thoughts. Will it get resolved? We'll see. We'll be right back. So we are back on Hops and Box Office Flops, presented by RevengeOfTheFans.com. And as Captain Cash reminded me during the break, D23 is happening right now as we record this. Obviously, this will air later, but some interesting things have transpired there as well. 
my recommendation would be to read up on it because if you're a fan of Moon Knight, he's getting a TV show. Obi-Wan's coming back, he's getting a TV show. Is it Miss Marvel's getting a TV show? Disney Plus is going to be something that you want if you're into Star Wars or Marvel. Literally anything. It's going to be worth the price of admission. And especially since they're bundling it for like 13 bucks for ESPN Plus, Hulu, and Disney Plus. That's a really good deal. What are deal. sports? Well, it's a good deal for people who go outside. Get some cash. I'm sorry. What happened the last time we arm wrestled? That was quite some time ago. My recommendation is to stick with the De Laurentiis Entertainment Group series of 1980s kids cartoon movies. Watch G.I. Joe. I love it. It is fantastic. If you are a fan of Transformers, the love you feel for this movie is the love. It's probably equatable to the love I feel for that G.I. Joe movie. I still have all of my G.I. Joes from my childhood sitting in my mother's basement. Uh, I've got a few in box. I've got a few really awesome ones, but I can't get enough of G.I. Joe. And I think they did a really nice job with that movie. And I do think it holds up better than this one simply because not animation or any of that stuff. It's just a stronger narrative. There's a better drive to that film. Oh, God, you're so wrong. I don't think I am because this movie really is a series of episodes, whereas that feels like a movie. And there's actual character development in it. You're wrong here, Captain Cash. Mr. Wizard's right. Um, The spectacle is better in Transformers, hands down. There are better scenes and sequences. There are moments where you see that the animation took a step up from the TV series, and it pays off. But as far as being a cohesive film, the G.I. Joe movie is much better. And it also has its moments, although it's much more grounded. It's a little smaller. But I, I, I enjoyed them both as a kid. I would like you to give me three quotes from the G.I. Joe film. Die, worm! Corolla! Okay, that was the one. That was the one. What else, yeah, you got? What else is there? What else is there? Um, Once was a man. Once no, 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 man. no. No, 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 you're right. The, the one-liners are much better in Transformers, but the narrative uh, was much easier to follow, even as a child. And the characters it introduces, Tunnel Rat, Globulus, Nemesis Enforcer, they feel like fully realized characters, whereas coming in, it's like, oh, Hot Rod must have existed before this movie because they don't bother telling you anything about them. There's really none of that in here. There's just new robots... And you get to know mainly one of them. They do a really good job building up these younger characters who actually didn't really live on for the most part past the movie. Like Big Fly, this is it for him. Uh, The female uh, Cobra La person, I can't remember her name right now. She's not really around after this. You've got Sergeant Slaughter and his band of merry men. It just feels like a movie. There's an actual, actual arc to it. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just trying to say... The spectacle was better, though. I, I remember more about Transformers. I'll, I'll, I'll agree with that. To your point, yeah. Captain Cash, I do remember more. But it was easier to follow the trans the, the, uh, the G.I. Joe movie. But it's also... You know, the, I think they, they benefit. The G.I. Joe movie has a distinct benefit. They 
bring back the death of Duke to avoid the backlash and some of the... If Duke had died, that movie might not have worked the same way. It might have been more confusing to kids. And that does give you the the one other quote I was looking for, which is, Yo, Joe! Lame. Boy, you get really upset when we make fun of a movie that's not that that good. (laughs) You don't remember quotes from it because you don't own it and you haven't watched it once a year for the last 30 years. Because there's no impact. I enjoy both these movies. Uh, there's no real impact in either of them because now we're grown men. So the death of Duke, if he died, was not going to hit me very hard if I watch this movie next week. What do you have tattooed on your arm? Yeah, I have nostalgia for things. Batman, Superman, Wolverine, Sabretooth, the Joker. As a child, going back to my comment earlier, watching Optimus Prime die in the first 20 minutes of that Transformers movie was shocking. That shit that didn't was, happen. It never happened. Yeah, it was I the to say first time it happened. I wanted to say this earlier. Between both of these franchises, we've watched guys shoot red and blue lasers at each other for multiple years. Okay, at With least no two. ramifications. Glancing blows. Guys get knocked down. You get you get rolled over. You're dusted off. You're fine. You get back up. Nobody dies. No consequences. You're 20, not even 20 minutes into this movie. Planets are getting eaten. People are getting crushed. And next thing you know, Megatron shows up and he's just blasting fools. And they're turning gray and dying. That was insane. Those kind of stakes did not exist in 80s kids stuff. I think the show is worse off for it because then you're stuck with a bunch of characters who nobody likes. Hasbro is not concerned. <laughs> I, I feel like better writing would have fixed that, but yeah, yeah, like, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. Again, more money, please. Sell toys. I, I, I'm I'm really concerned, you know, or interested more than concerned to see like what their executives were thinking. Like, hey, we're going to murder all these characters, and then we're going to sell more toys. Don't worry, it'll be fine. The kids will get but over it. That's they're the gonna, thing. I think they're going to love it. Don't worry. Kids love murder. These are the same <laughs> assholes who are like. Oh, well, if it's a robot murder, it doesn't count as murder, which is why, like, in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, all the Foot Clan are fucking robots because it lets yeah. the, the turtles use oh. their weapons against robots. It's the same logic that goes, oh, well, they're yeah. just robots. Fuck it, kill them. Okay, so recommendation, Chumpzilla. Well, you said technically you're going to recommend Transformers, right? The series. Real quick, I'll cheat again because I'm a degenerate. It's well-established. Um, this actually wasn't Shockwave or Starscream's only on-screen appearance in 1986. Because this was a 1986 movie, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay, uh, pop quiz hot shots. What other films do we get those two characters in? Because they appeared. And I'll give you, I'll give you a hint. Give you a hint. As toys. I want to guess The Princess Bride, except I know that that came out in 89. Shit. Yeah, there there are some Secret Wars toys and Star Wars toys in the uh, the Princess Bride. I think there's I think definitely like a Captain Man, America, Spider Man, Captain America, and Boba Fett. I'm pretty sure show up in that. And I, no, I, no, 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 I'm confused. I'm pretty sure Boba Fett shows up in ET. I'm sorry. What was the name of that movie where the electricity goes haywire and starts killing people? Because I know that Spider Man Two. 
No, this is an 80s movie and it's not good. I believe Ed Harris from Major League's in it. I think it's called yeah, Pulse um, or something, but there's a lot. The kid has like all these 80s toys in it. Uh, no, it's not that one. It's not that one. It's, it's Batteries not famous. included? It's much more famous. So, so I'll give you my first one. This is great because somebody on Reddit figured this out, which is awesome. This is a leg- legitimate, like, random fan find. In Aliens, okay, you know, James Cameron's Aliens, 1986, the scene where Ripley and Newt are in the uh, containment uh, area, the, the the medical bay with the face hugger because Paul Reiser locked him in there. Uh, the equipment attached to the top, like medical weird ass testing stuff, actually has shock waves attached to the arms. Not to be confused with sound wave, the boombox shock right. wave, shock wave, the, the laser purple, gun. the purple guy with the single LED in his face. Correct. And it had little like plastic uh, like tubes attached to them, like little little like uh, connecting things. The, th- the the point is though, that was one of the few Transformer toys that didn't come from the main line. It came from like a, a separate Japanese line. There were many companies that had the license to make him, so it's very likely the prop people grabbed up a random Shack wave from Radio Shack and used him as the end of their like little probe things. But yeah, some. I'm gonna hit eBay and right now. I'm gonna look for a shack wave. Yeah, so some intrepid uh, Reddit user that is pulled that up and said, "Holy shit, those are shock waves they used as the ends of the probes." Okay, so which is hilarious, and that's only that's only been the last couple of years that people figured that out, which is funny. But anyway, another 1986 movie. Again, my favorite volleyball movie of all time, starring Val Kilmer. There's some scene about some Air Force guys, and one of the pilots, you know, goes to meet his family, and his kid has a Starscream in his hands, a G1 Starscream. Okay, before you go, Captain Cash, I was right. This movie called Pulse came out in 1988. Not Eddie Harris from Major League. It's Clifty Young, but starring a young Joey Lawrence. Whoa. Whoa. And his Whoa. brother's also in it. So, All right, Captain Cash, your recommendation. Okay, apparently, Transformers Generation Selects offers a leader-class galactic man, comma, shock wave, for $50. I mean, it, it's probably not... It's inspired by the 85 version of Shockwave. But I'm just saying, it's an option out there for everybody. My recommendation is a little different this, this time because it is a band... And that band is called the Cybertronic Spree. This band literally dresses as RC, Hot Rod, uh, who else is then? Uh, Unicron, who's the tape, one of the tape deck guys. It's, it's fucking amazing. I saw this band play in Cincinnati, Ohio. I had to drive in five hours to get there. I don't fucking care. They play the soundtrack of this goddamn movie. And it is amazing. And then they like they threw in like the X Men theme from the nineties. They played the Pokemon theme. It was a great goddamn time. Go see the Cybertronics free. They're playing Dragon Con in like two weeks. It is my greatest regret. I cannot be there for it. Go see the Cybertronics free. 
Okay, very quick Spider-Man thoughts, because I know you're upset about this, Captain Cash. And uh, I am, too. Uh, I, I want them to continue taking Spider-Man down the road they were taking him. And if that is not an option, I don't see it going particularly well. It's not that Sony's incapable of making decent Spider-Man movies. They've made a few very good ones. But everything... Frankly, Into the Spider-Verse is the best Spider-Man movie ever made. And it's the only Oscar-winning Spider-Man movie ever made. Really? Yeah, one best animated feature. Well, I mean, it won best animated feature, but none of the other Spider-Man movies picked up anything? I do not believe so, unless it was special effects, but what does that really mean? I mean, you know... Spider-Man 2 is still great. Aquaman wasn't nominated for best special effects. That category is now watered-down garbage. Or the time that Interstellar bested the second Planet of the Apes movie. So, yeah, I, I would like him back. I do think this is all negotiation stuff. I don't. I think it's ugly right now, publicly, but he'll be back. Uh, I know that Sony countered with 25%. Marvel said no, because they had originally offered 30 It's going to happen. It is, because Sony knows they can't survive without it. MCU will be fine without Sony. They'll continue marching on. Sure, people will miss Spider-Man, but let's be honest, it's a machine. It'll just keep going. This Spider-Man will not be able to exist without the established ground he was based upon. It just won't work. So break down the the, the situation for me, Mr. Wizard. What, what exactly was at stake? As I understood it, Marvel agreed to five films. Three in the MCU, two standalone Sony movies. And now was the time to renegotiate, okay, what happens next? Which, from Marvel's perspective, makes sense, because at this stage, they've got Spidey and Thor and Infinity War and Endgame. They've done Homecoming and Far From Home. He is very well integrated into the MCU. Okay, what next? And this is where negotiations broke down, more or less. Marvel is not as smart as we thought they were because if you've got a five-picture deal and you're on picture five and you don't have a deal in place, maybe you don't write a script where everything hinges on you getting that deal done. Because if it doesn't get done now, everything you just built with Far From Home has to be retconned. He's the new, he's the new Tony Stark. I don't think that's hard to sweep away because they very obviously did a whole... Uh, and spoilers, if you've not seen Far From Home, get out now. Give me a break. I mean, we spoiled the shit out of it last episode, two episodes. Did we? Yes. Yeah, here we are. <laughs> New audience. Yeah. Hey, you never know. Uh, Spider-Man gets revealed as Peter Parker. They can just say, hey, what happened to that kid from Queens? Ah, things got tough. And he, he went into hiding. The end. Well... But, you're glossing over the fact they also give us uh, J.K. Simmons. I know I'm not glossing over the fact. I'm just to, to me, the greater a Marvel that, hole. That, to me, that's a huge investment to continuing. That that wasn't a throwaway movie. That post credit scene actually further entrenches Disney's investment. The whole movie is a setup for him to be the centerpiece moving forward. Oh no, I I agree which, with that, which I think is a mistake. Regardless of the rights issue, uh, I think the whole Spider-Man taking over for for RDJ's role in the MCU is a mistake. I agree, but 
I actually like that's how they end it. The the whole oh Spider Man is actually a menace because it it gives an outlet for oh maybe Spider Man needs to be a loner. The only problem is presumably Tony Stark has got cameras uploading what happened during Endgame where Spider-Man very explicitly saved everybody and maybe what do you call it Spider-Man's suit his new suit didn't have the the baby monitor protocol that was recording everything yeah. that Spider-Man did but I feel like you know hey I'm going to get uh, Captain Marvel and fucking Thor and Black Panther and literally anybody else on the phone and I'm going to go hey hey I'm Spider-Man this is some bullshit. Just give me some legal legal cover, and he's good. Well, so. you, you know what? I think the perfect solution to this problem is the She-Hulk. Oh, my God, and that's coming out. I think the biggest problem the MCU's got right now is that they've got – Spider-Man is core. They've invested in him. I'm with you, Mr. Wizard. This is a money issue. Disney and Sony are going to have to worry out the money. They're going to have to figure out how to get a dump truck of money – transferred from one entity to the other to make this work because they're going to be better for it. There's no reason to reboot this version of Spider-Man. There is money to be made here. They got to figure it out. I don't think there's any way this deal doesn't get done because as much as we acknowledge that Marvel put a lot into developing him as this integral part of their movies going forward, Sony will not be able to sustain the momentum that Marvel helped them build or coached them to build. It just will not work. You can't take Holland and throw him into the Venom universe. Those things feel nothing alike. Now, Marvel is good enough to then take Venom and figure out a way to do it. Sony will bungle this a million ways to Sunday. They know it in their heart of hearts. They tried to build a universe with Garfield, and what that amounted to was, oh, by the way, Norman Osborn created every piece of the Sinister Six, and none of these characters have a meaningful backstory, and nobody wanted to see that crap. And that movie lost money, and it tanked the franchise. Real quickly, I will say that I think the biggest problem with the Garfield movies is that they didn't put Electro in his comics costume. That's your biggest problem with those movies? <laughs> I'm the Rhino! I, I think they underestimated how entertaining. See that? See that? I'm the rhino. Exactly. They, they put La, the rhino. La, in the, I'm the rhino. They put the rhino Shut in the costume. They totally misunderstood their audience. Put Electro in that goofy costume. Make that work in the movie. It'd be funny. You can't just then throw. You can't do the re the the rebooted version of Electro and then throw a Rhino in there like like a, an idiot. Uh, I'm the Rhino. I'm Killer. If they've been consistent, no, uh, if they've been consistent with the villains, comic accurate, I think it would have worked. But they tried to 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 meld the two together, and it, it doesn't work. But their whole setup was going for villains that weren't comic accurate. Like at all, which is, which is a mistake. Which is a mistake. To watch that film on a plane, and I, and that is the worst six bucks I've ever spent. Yeah. So what's what's the biggest problem we have with Zemo in Civil War? Well, that he doesn't look like the Russo brother that he pretends to be to infiltrate the top secret base. 
that he's not wearing a purple mask with fur trim. We're, we're like, absolutely getting that in Falcon and the Winter yeah, Soldier, though. I, it's coming I, back. I, I, th- I think the problem is these guys are getting the message way too late. Is that, yeah, we will put up with the goofy. The villain can look goofy. You can go straight up comic accurate with the portrayal as long as the story's good. That's the key. It's like, you're, you're right. You can't do the goofy, cartoony crap if the story sucks. But if you've got a good story and there's good you know, writing behind the character, then, yeah, we, we, want, we want the over-the-top representation. And this is where I'm going to call your bullshit on Amazing Spider-Man 2. That movie fucking sucked. It was so bad. It was and not good. putting Electro in the green and yellow costume with the electric star head fucking thing that he has. Wow. No bueno. Nothing no saves that movie. I, I think you're underestimating how how much of a nostalgia factor that would have triggered. Now, the writing would have to be better. Don't get me wrong. Way better. But, but Like a away, lot better. I, I think you, you get a little bit of... Uh, you know, good graces if you go with the comic comic accurate costumes. Okay, we're getting way too far in the weeds. Uh, long story short, they'll work this out because both sides, to a matter of degrees, really have to. And if they can't sit in a room and hammer out a deal, then they're both leaving an extraordinary amount of money on the table. And in Sony's case, they can't afford that. And in Marvel's case... People, you will. There is something to be said that if you jade your audience in such a way, you can lose people. And losing Spider-Man after you've established them like they have, it's not good for business. Even though, I, as I said, they're a machine; they'll keep chugging along. This would be a bad. This would be a first major misstep for them, and it wouldn't be a good one. It's nuts to think about because remember when Spider-Man got added to the MCU? It was. It was literally like what three and a half years ago. It's not even four years that we we got Spidey, and we had no expectation to get Spider-Man. And what they've done with him in that time is so significant. They knocked out two movies that were Spider-Man centric, and then had Spidey as a supporting character in another three. Damn, they put in a lot of work. So that's what I'm saying. They'll find a way to get it done. Yeah, Sony would be stupid to walk away from the money. And that's where we're going to leave it. They would be stupid. And when we come back, I think we got Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles coming up next. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3, Turtles in Time, the not fun version. This version sucks, actually. And uh, Man, how good it was Turtles in Time, the arcade game. Oh, so great. So great. This version is really bad. It's a really, really bad movie. And it killed uh, the Turtles movies. So, that's fun. (laughs) So, we'll catch you next time. Turtles die.